This is Sunday Letters, the weekly newsletter on life, work and the pursuit of happiness. I'm Larry McGuire. Sunday Letters has been on the go since 2015 in written form and more recently in audio form. And you'll find no advertising here, no marketing, no round-the-corner attempts by third parties to sell you stuff you don't need and part you from your cash. Instead, this show is about content of a deeper nature. Stuff that keeps me up at night. Stuff that I spend hours and days researching, writing, editing, recording. And all because I think it's worth sharing. I think it's worth your consideration. And if you enjoy the stuff that I do, if you like what I write and enjoy what I record, please consider becoming a paid subscriber. It costs a fiver a month or 50 a year. And you'll help me create more time to make stuff like this. Get over to Sunday Letters com to show your support for the show. So, here's this week's edition. Welcome to Sunday Letters. It's the 9th of January. I'm Larry Maguire. Thanks for coming along. Uh, it's been a while since I uh, recorded an audio uh, uh, for Sunday Letters. The end of the summer, I'd say. And... Um, there was stuff going on and, you know, family and work and studies and all that. And uh, kind of needed to get away from it for a while and focus on other things and um, too many balls in the air, I suppose. But anyway, we're back. It's January and I figured we'd get, uh, we'd get the audio uh, element going again. And to start off the year, um, you know, this time of year is filled at least the popular narrative is filled with you know these ideas of uh making your life success and making this year your best year and uh making yourself you know turning yourself into some kind of better version of you and all this kind of nonsense and there's a lot of hype around it and most people set goals or whatever you want to call them in January and then uh, they're gone by February and so uh, that's evidence enough for me that um, this I suppose glossy idea of a better life of a happy life is really nonsense and the change that certainly it's been my experience that the change when it comes about tends to come about of its own accord and we happen to be simply there for the ride, um, along for the ride. And it's it's remarkable when it happens, when the change happens, you know, when the moment arises where there is simply no doubt about the direction to go, it's a yes. And there's no element of gray about it whatsoever. You know, exactly. This is the direction. This is what I'm doing. And I'm going for it. Uh, like when I gave up the smokes a long time ago now. I just felt now's the time, boom, and it was done. And I'm glad it was done. But really, when you think about it, or when I think about it, I wonder how much I had, uh, how much involvement I had in that. And you might you might say that that's ridiculous. Of course, you had an involvement in it. You decided to give up the smokes and maybe it was a big effort and blah, 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 but you gave them up. And I'm just using that as an example. It could be any host of a of hundred other things. It might be losing weight, might be getting fit, might be, uh, you know, finding that career that you want or whatever. 
But my finding has been that the change occurs of its own accord. And why is that even related to happiness? Of course, it's related to happiness. I mean, this whole newsletter is centered around the pursuit of happiness as if it's well, we spend our lives pursuing it as if it's a place or a thing that we can possibly achieve. I mean, happiness, if you think about it, it only occurs to us on reflection when you're in it. It doesn't occur to you. At least it doesn't to me, because when you're in the shit, you've got to dig yourself out of it. And it's only on reflection you can say, oh, well, that was crap. Um, I'm glad I'm beyond that. Or, Jesus, that was a great experience. Um, I'd love to do that again. So it's only when we think about it later that we have some kind of contrast, that we can appreciate the contrast. Um, so Sunday Letters is about life, work, and the pursuit of happiness. And it is a pursuit However, it seems to me that the state is, is not fixed. It's, it's not concrete. It's not somewhere certainly that we arrive. It's, it comes about by assessment of, maybe to use the analogy, assessment of the road we've just come down. And um, you can't get there. You can never get there. And I think to live under the illusion that you can is destructive in itself. Because... Once you're once you're in pursuit of something, it's not there. You don't have it. And when you don't have it, you're at forever a loss, if that makes sense. So I write about this here on Sunday Letters, uh, generally on a weekly basis. And I try to draw from the writings of people who've come before me, people who know maybe a lot more than I do, uh, or who, who have the words to put it together in such a way that I don't. Um, and Carl Jung is one of those people. I wouldn't necessarily be an expert or broadly read on his material, but I have read some of his stuff. And one of his uh, little books is from 1958. It's called The Undiscovered Self. And there's a number of essays in there. They're short enough. The book is the book is tight enough. It's only what? I don't know, less than 100 pages, 75 pages. And there's a couple of essays in there. And one of them is uh, the plight of the individual in modern society. And he writes about... Uh, the nature of the human condition as, as he saw it at that time and how it seems in this pursuit of happiness we give over ourselves to entities uh, such as church or state and we leave responsibility with them for our happiness as if they could ever deliver them. Um, I mean really what it boils down to is we leave ourselves open to manipulation and we get pushed around and told what to do and then we wonder why um, we feel isolated and uh, powerless, you know. And he's not the only one who wrote about this. Uh, Eric Fromm, who I've written on before, um, he writes about it too. Um, Bertrand Russell writes about it. Alan Watts writes about it. Uh, all of these people who have had an insight, deeper insight into the human condition, more so than maybe anyone else, um, have written about it and a lot of this stuff is old but it's still relevant and it could be said that the problem uh, the, the collective and individual neurosis has become more profound since Jung's time and since Fromm's time um, that's how it seems to me 
Today, I'm writing about that a little bit and getting into the idea that um, we can pursue this, this apparent state of well-being and never reach it. And in fact, um, real happiness is in the realization and the acceptance that life consists of both. And you can't do anything about it. And the more we try to fix the world and make it better, the more we try to fix individuals, if that's our motivation, the more we fuck it up, you know, in my opinion. And um, I really think that the answer to the problem, the individual problem of life and the collective problem of life is to peel back the layers and find out who and what we are at a, at a much more profound level. And until we do that, we'll never solve the problems because we have the cart before the horse, you know. So I'm getting into this today a little bit. Here's a quote from from Jung on happiness, actually. And I'll leave you with this. I'm not going to narrate today's article. You can give it a listen or give it a read rather in your own time. But Jung says happiness is such a remarkable reality that there is nobody who does not long for it. And yet there is not a single objective criterion which would prove beyond all doubt that this condition necessarily exists. As so often with the most important thing, we have to make do with a subjective judgment. So that's pretty much what I said, that it's about standing back from the ups and downs of our experience and asking ourselves, well, how do I feel about all of that? Uh, and I've been thinking about today in particular. As I say that, um, at the same time, I feel that it's kind of bullshit to an extent. Well, I can't know anyone else's life for them, but I'm thinking about today in particular, Sinead O'Connor, the singer, songwriter. And uh, she lost her son um, yesterday, I believe, to suicide. And um, he was only 17. Trouble Jumpla, no doubt, attempted it a couple of times before. And I understand he was in the care of the state and he managed to leave um, the hospital and get out and get away and do the deed and um, end the torture. And I'm thinking about her and the catastrophe that seems to be her life. I mean, OK, she's had this extraordinary global success, right, as an artist, uh, incredibly talented and successful. And yet on the other side of the coin, uh, she has um, this enormous trauma that goes with her and has gone with her from the time she was a child. I was listening to her biography. You can get it on Audible. Uh, Rememberings, is that the name of it? And she, she speaks about her upbringing with her mother. I mean, there's no, there's little uh, more traumatic a child could endure than what she endured with her mother. Her mother was a head case, died in a car accident a number of years ago. But she was separated from her other siblings. Her mother and father broke up. She went to live with her mother. And she was an, out, an outright lunatic. And um, today you would hope that maybe children wouldn't end up having to grow up in such an environment. But maybe maybe her life is so chaotic. Um, look, at her, I'm not going to pass any judgment on it. But um, I mean, why would I? 
she's gone through, I mean, she's gone through something that no parent would wish on their worst enemy um, at the moment. And, um, but when you, when you ask or when you approach this whole subject of happiness, unhappiness, and wh what is happiness, and ask yourself, well, is Sinead O'Connor or, or someone like her, could they ever be happy? And I'm sure, I mean, the, the experience that she has of life, uh, the extremes are well beyond what any of us ordinary folk would experience, I think. I mean, the heights of her, the peak of her curve is so much higher than everyone else's, but so is the depth. And I wonder, is it, is it a match, you know? Do they match each other? I mean, on balance, they would have to, wouldn't they? I don't know. Um, but that's the nature of life as it is. I mean, my experience of, of what it is to be alive is very different than everyone else's. But we assume that it's, we, we look at other people and we assume that their lives are better or that their lives are worse. And we create this kind of uh, story in our head about other people. And really none of it is true because we don't know the, the complexity and the depths and the heights of uh, what it is they experience. And so um, with all of this going on, and as I look at other people's lives, and I, uh, including those close to me, and I wonder, how is it for them? Are, are they feeling the same thing as I feel? Uh, it's extremely complex. I mean, I, I enjoy thinking about it and writing about it, but um, I can't get away from the conclusion so far that the whole pursuit of happiness is a nonsense. And it distracts us from what it is we should be doing, whatever it happens to be. Um, so I'm drawn on this little essay by Carl Jung uh, for today's Sunday Letters and uh, get a read of it, see what you think. Um, that's all I've got for you today. Thanks for reading, thanks for listening and I'll see you next week. Take care of yourselves. Sunday Letters, the 9th of January, 2022. Carl Jung on the human condition. The Sunday Letters newsletter is about the pursuit of happiness and all the drama of that. But this state of happiness it seeks to identify is not hedonic happiness. It does not believe in the abandonment of all that is not heightened states of pleasure. Instead, it attempts to go deeper, to explore the full scope of the human condition. And so it attempts to uncover the paradox of the pursuit. Happiness is either this or that, and yes, yet it's not. If happiness was something concrete, if it lay in front of our eyes or occupied the contents of our conscious thinking mind, then we would surely choose it, but we don't. Instead, there's a problem. In fact, there is an entire never-ending universe of problems. When we find a solution, we invariably pick up another problem, unless, that is, we realise that there are no problems, really, that we create them all as my father so accurately puts it. The world is all right, Lar. It's the people in it that are the problem. In psychology and some respects, common language, we use the psychoanalytic term ego to denote this aspect of the self, the one that pursues happiness. It's a level of awareness of itself and the world surrounding it. But the term has become a little overused, abused and misunderstood, so I tend to steer clear from it. In fact, Freud never coined the terms ego, 
superego and id. This was Abraham Brill's choice, the original translator of Freud's writings. Freud's Das Ich translates as the I, a subjective sense of personal reality. It is argued that Freud's Das Ich lost its subjectivity through the Latin word ego, which already had affixed to it the concept of being overly self-centered. It might be more accurate to use the term persona here, Carl Jung's outward or social personality. It is derived from the Latin persona, human being, person, personage, a part in a drama or an assumed character, originally a mask, a false face, such as those of wood or clay covering the actor's head in Roman theatre. So we see that what we refer to as I, a reflection in the mirror, our clothes, our job, our social role, etc., is merely a temporary mask overlaying something mysterious. The surface-level personality is that aspect of the unidentifiable subject that sees its reflection, thinks itself so important or not, and believes itself to exist in all the drama and manifestations of life. And despite the findings of those who have looked deep into the cavern of human condition, like Freud, Jung, Lacan, Klein and Fromm, the general population, it seems, have failed to grasp the essence of what was discovered. That is, the illusory nature of the surface-level self and all its desires and demands for happiness. So it powers on at the sharp end of apparent human progress, leaving a trail of destruction in its wake and handing down its collective neurosis to subsequent generations. And so, in the pursuit of happiness, we create its exact opposite. Happiness is such a remarkable reality that there is nobody who does not long for it, and yet there is not a single objective criterion which will prove beyond all doubt that this condition necessarily exists. And so often, with the most important thing, we have to make do with a subjective judgment. Carl Jung. So now imagine all these little egocentric animals, of which you and I are one, running around, dressing up as this or that, playing their game unbeknownst to themselves, attempting to fill the void that has always been there and trying to establish their own existence as real. And I wonder if we were always this way. When I read texts from Jung, Freud, from, for example, they identified the, the dysfunction of the human animal and its society. It seems the same today, only more accurate and destructive than before. I look at our climate and how our consumption of material things things that ultimately do not satisfy, but merely serve to appease our insatiable appetite for pleasure, is destroying us. I see how the global south suffers at the hands of this pandemic because pharmaceuticals do not license the production of COVID vaccines in their countries. I see how toxic waste is exported to Africa and Asia and dumped in their rivers. And I see how the neediest in our first world society are still neglected because it's simply not a political priority. All of this and more is the product of the human condition, one that fails to understand itself beyond the surface level personality. In his 1958 essay, The Plight of the Individual in Modern Society, Carl Jung suggested that most people confuse self-knowledge with knowledge of the conscious ego personality. But the ego, Jung says, knows only the contents of its own formulated reality and not that which lies beyond its awareness. Excuse the reliance on the male pronouns in the following paragraph. Carl Jung. People measure their self-knowledge by what they 
what the average person in their social environment knows of himself, but not by the real psychic facts, which are, for the most part, hidden from them. In this respect, the psyche behaves like the body with its physiological and anatomical structure, of which the average person knows very little. Although he lives in it and with it, most of it is totally unknown to the layman, and special scientific knowledge is needed to acquaint consciousness with what is known of the body, not to speak of all that is not known, which also exists. What is commonly called self-knowledge is, therefore, a very limited knowledge, most of it dependent on social factors, of what goes on in the human psyche. Carl Jung says that the bigger the crowd, the more negligible the individual becomes. This lost individual Jung speaks of is the ego-based individual, the one that sees itself as either an oversized old stuffed shirt full of its own importance, or as poor little me, overwhelmed by its insignificance. We perhaps can see how a consumer society as such as ours can offer a solution to this problem, albeit not much of a solution. In this way, Jung says that the individual becomes more and more a function of society as an abstract idea where everybody in the, is the subject of autocratic rule. So, not to end this piece on a negative note, I feel there is some ground for optimism. We cannot expect to rid ourselves of negative experiences, nor expect to have mostly positive ones. Life exists as a dichotomy. The coin has two sides, so to speak. So, balance is the only realistic expectation. To assume that we can change the world or even the life of one other human being towards positive ends by merely our best intentions is naive in the extreme. However, our actions might just do that. These things come about as a consequence rather than a cause. The only job we have in that regard, therefore, is to introspect. It is to seek Carl Jung's self-knowledge, the knowledge of a self that lies deeper than that which we label ourselves. We won't find it in stuff, intellectual knowledge, technology, partners, worldly success and so on. And to seek it there only perpetuates the drama. Or is it trauma? Maybe it is that we keep coming back until we figure that one out.